Hi friends and welcome back to another episode of Open House, a fresh, fun and real podcast where I, Louise Rumble, invite you inside the therapy room with me to learn from some of the very best psychologists, therapists and sex and intimacy coaches that I have found. No topic is off the table, no question too juicy and no experience too shameful. At Open House, everyone is welcome. And we're on a mission to develop a new mental health experience for all because we believe that true happiness is coming home to yourself under the layers and layers of you that society has told you to be. As ever, please remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and you should always seek professional medical help when necessary. Now, let's get into it and I'll see you on the other side. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Open House Podcast with me, your host, Louise Rumble. And today I can introduce my guest and co-host as Dr. Massimo, our sex therapist on the Open House Podcast, who has just got his PhD. And we could not be more proud of him. We know exactly how much blood, sweat, and tears has gone into this over the past few years, I would say, if not longer. Now, we live in a society where it seems like everyone else can just fuck and get on with it. Casual sex, have a great life, have a great time. But the reality is, is that I put out a TikTok about a month ago saying no one talks about how shit it feels and how traumatizing casual sex can actually be. That's what we're going to talk about today. I cannot tell you for how many years... I have held such deep, deep shame and regret about sexual encounters that I have had in my teenage years, even in my 20s. And putting out that TikTok was a really revolutionary experience for me because it made me realize that I am not alone with how horrendous these sexual encounters have made me feel over the years. And I just started to realize how many times the next day I would feel horrendous, but I would block it out. I would suppress it. I would feel shit for one, two, three days. So I'm excited for today's discussion because I think we're talking about something that people don't talk about. And I know that's a huge part of both of our missions in life. Trigger warning, there may be some discussion today of sexual assault or potentially sexual trauma, but there's also going to be a lot of light parts of the episode, fun parts of the episode, and some of my life stories along the way too. So I think you're all going to take a great deal of value from this. So Massimo, for the people that feel like casual sex traumatizes the fuck out of them, let's just start with why does it feel so shit? Thank you, Louise. What this process does is cause many traumas, which include feelings of rejection, not feeling good enough, situations that destabilize us and our nervous system. And this is due to the variety of people we encounter and the different energies that we are allowing into our sacred space. All of which leads to storing up this continual trauma in our vagus nerve, which is really the nerve center that manages anything stress-related. So 
the body has almost like a, a memory bank of all these experiences. And what happens is that all these unprocessed experiences, unprocessed residue that we have in our body is so deeply connected with the hope that one of these individuals is actually going to give me the thing that I'm wanting. This for me is really the feeling of grief because you've allowed this person to come into your life. It doesn't matter if it's that for that short period of time. But we also don't realize that when it comes to an end the next day and we do have feelings of abandonment, or maybe there aren't feelings of abandonment, it's just an ending. We haven't programmed ourselves to actually realize that we need to give some time to that ending as well. If we experience a death, we give it the time to grieve, right? Or if something comes to an end, we usually give it some form of time for grieving. Whereas these kind of situations, it's never actually at the forefront of our mind realizing that I've allowed this person to come into my sacred space or I've entered this other person's sacred space. And this ending has deeply influenced my makeup. The energies that we experience with the other, the connection that we've experienced with the other, regardless of how sporadic and momentary it is, it's still left residue within our bodies and minds. So if it comes to an end, we also have to give ourselves that time to, to grieve and let go of that person, let go of the images and the hopes and the desires and the fantasies that we've had for that person. And that is incredibly painful. So the process becomes very avoidant because we don't want to grieve. The minute we hear the word grieving, we don't want to go there because it means that some form of pain is going to be experienced in the body. I absolutely love what you said around having to give away the fantasy. And I think that's something that people don't talk about today. And I guess it ties into part one of the process, which is the story and the hope. I just remember like I, I hooked up with someone and then I went on a plane the next day and I was just on the plane, just like replaying it in my head, replaying like what our future could look like together. And the reality is, is I had already in those moments gone so far from the reality, which was that I'd never spoken to this guy about what he wanted in life or whether we were ever going to see each other again or anything like that. You know, what did this mean to you? It was just like a drunken fling, but I thought the guy was so sexy that obviously as a 22 year old, I'm like, oh my God, I have to be with this man. Like I have to be with him. So I think that is also so important to understand is that it's okay to romanticize and fantasize about these people that we have encounters with. Because I think there is just this belief through us that, uh, you know, it's going to be the fairy tale ending and, oh my goodness, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And the truth is, is that as I've learned a lot more about the concept of attachment hunger and how we attach so quickly to people and visions and dreams, we've actually done an episode on this episode 24 with Dr. Terry, which people definitely should go and listen to if they haven't already. It really also helps me understand when I look back why these cycles were so traumatizing. It's because like you said, I wasn't accepting the cycle for what it was. I was always putting a story to it. The possibility of it could be this, it could be that, it could be so much more, it could be a relationship. I would honestly have like a sexual encounter and be thinking about that I'm going to be their girlfriend. And I mean, that is like, so crazy now when I look back. But it also makes me sad as well because like, yeah, it's funny. Like, well, it's actually not funny, but you know, it, it's kind of laughable. But it's also really sad looking back because I just look at little Louise and I'm like, oh baby, like you just wanted someone to love you. Like your whole life, you've just wanted someone to love you. And you know, really you were just hoping that these men were going to love you and they didn't fucking want to love you. Most of them were absolute assholes. Like, you know, it, it's, it's sad looking back, but I think 
that point around the romanticization, that's not a word, the point about romanticizing and fantasizing is really important to understand, as is the grief cycle, because it is, it is a grief. It's a grief and a loss of them, a grief and a loss of what you two could have been, even if it was a romantic fantasy. And also it's a bit of a grief of yourself. And I guess this is where we can take a little bit more of a serious turn with the episode, but I'd love to understand why we grieve, like why we feel like we've lost a part of ourselves when we've given someone something. And my boyfriend says this to me a lot. He says, those men, you know, the sexual trauma that you've worked through, they didn't take anything from you. It feels like they did, but you are full and you are whole just as you are. You didn't give them anything because your body is not something to be given. It's not that you give it and they've taken it, but that is how it feels. The next day you feel like, why did I do that? Why did I put out? Why did I give them my body? So I just love to talk a little bit around, yeah, the concept of feeling empty and like you've given part of yourself away the next day. I love the response that your boyfriend has given you and especially highlighting that you are full, that your body is not about giving away. But when we feel empty inside, there's a part of us that we're wanting to be fulfilled by the other. So when we encounter this person, there's the hope that what we see in them is the part that is actually going to be filling that empty void within us. And that's where we're outsourcing and or entrusting that in the other, that the other person is going to give us that sustenance. And when we're met with this is not going to happen, it re-traumatizes us because we can't come to terms with that actual truth. Let's call it a truth for that matter. And what we do, I'll show you how simple this is. When we're re-traumatizing ourselves, let's say, for instance, you go through an experience where there is casual sex and there's maybe communication afterwards, there's telephone numbers exchanged, things like that. You will probably find that most people will not delete a telephone number. So what do we do? We replay messages, we go over pictures, we go over the experience, maybe a video was taken, all of these different things to almost reinforce this fantasy that we've built up in our minds rather than allowing it to actually experience the end, experience the grieving process and realize that in this moment that I shared something with this person, it was junk food. It wasn't sustenance that actually fueled my body and gave me everything that I need in that moment. And that's okay. But we have to allow ourselves the process of realizing that it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't what we're needing. It wasn't what we deserve. I love the analogy of the junk food because I think, you know, it's okay to have a pizza every once in a while. I love a pizza. I fucking love a pizza. But it's like when, when you have that pizza how shit does it make you feel afterwards? Can you get to a point where you can just eat the pizza and be like, that was a good experience. I feel a little bit shitty the next day because, you know, I know that wasn't an organic chicken breast salad, but that you're okay with it. You know that it's okay to have a pizza every once in a while and then you move on and you move back to a more healthy sustenance. And I think that for anyone listening to this that does want to engage in casual sex or, you know, just having fun with some someone, I think that's part of where you need to work on is getting this to a point that it can be something that is a conscious experience. Because we are not saying never, ever do it. We're just saying you have to be conscious of all of the multifaceted parts of it that can cause you pain afterwards. And if you can listen to this podcast, identify all of these things and go into it saying, that's okay. I get that. 
I'm not going to put a story to it. I'm not going to put a fantasy to it. I'm not going to rewatch everything the next day. I'm not going to expect anything from them. That is how you can have conscious casual sex. Now, I am never going to have conscious casual sex. It is not something that I can do. I have been so traumatized by it that I don't even want to get there. And I also just so deeply value an emotional connection. And also for me, the sex is a hundred times better if I have an emotional connection with you. I know you, I feel safe with you, et cetera, et cetera. So I personally am not going to engage in conscious casual sex, but I think it's fucking rad if people are listening to this and they're like, yeah, cool. Like I can do that. And I just really hope that this podcast and where we're about to go with it is, is going to help people. Now, I can count on one hand the number of people that I've had sex with in the last six, seven, eight years. I mean, it is very, very low, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm a fucking angel because I am not. I was an absolute terror at university. I was constantly drunk, constantly taking drugs, deeply heartbroken, deeply traumatized. And I was just young. You know, our brains don't even develop fully until the age of 25. So I made a lot of mistakes at university. You know, I arrived only having one sexual partner. I'd been with him for four years. Then I went totally off the rails and it was just all very messy. I slept with a lot of people and did a lot of things that I didn't want to do. So I just want to share that I know that every time you go through this experience and the cycle continues and continues, there is this dark guilt and shame that kind of can build up within you. I really built a story around what these casual sexual encounters meant. I really built a story that I was a slut, that I was promiscuous. And I carried that guilt and that shame from those casual sexual encounters for a very, very long time. I don't even know if Massimo has anything to input on this, but I think it's just really, really important for me to say that if you hold guilt and shame around sexual encounters, around casual sex, you are not alone. And what I have also learned through going to therapy is that I have been able to start to love those encounters that I had. And that is something that I never thought I could say. I mean, I was so ashamed of them. Like I would never share with boyfriends, oh, I slept with this many people at university or, oh yeah, I dated him. And then I also slept with him. Now I'm in my thirties. I can just say, and it's thanks to my current boyfriend and it's thanks to my last boyfriend where both of them said, those experiences made you. They made you who you are today. They made you an amazing lover, but they also made you sensitive and self-aware. So I just want to say to anyone listening, those stories shaped you, but it doesn't have to be in a negative way. And if you are holding guilt and shame around this, I would really, really advise getting in on these resources that we're going to create or, you know, working with Dr. Massimo, working in, in some of his groups, because a huge part of my healing journey has just been giving away the shame. It is so freeing. I've actually got goosebumps and it makes me want to cry a bit because like it has held me back for so long. It has been so heavy in my heart, the regret and the shame. And just to be able to just breathe it out and be like, do you know what? It happened. I can't do anything to change it. All I can do is start to understand myself better, how I got in those situations, what I learned from them and what I'm going to change moving forward. So I don't know if you have anything to say on, on the guilt and the shame and the internalization on this? 
Louise, I absolutely do. And you've probably triggered one of the most important and pivotal turning points that I experienced in my life. And that was when I decided to have a year of celibacy. And what that did for me was it allowed me to re-meet myself. And it created just enough distance from that narrative that you were describing, you know, the guilt and the shame and all of the stories that we're telling ourselves to actually get a bit of a different perspective in realizing that everything from my past has served me for the benefit of the person that I am to this in this day. The problem that I see with this guilt trap and, and the shame trap is that there's such a loathing and self-loathing that we don't ever create enough distance to actually start digesting it and seeing it from a different perspective. And we feel as though we want to be obliterated because the story has become so meaningful to us. Whereas all it just does take is a little bit of courage to move away from that. But it's important to be able to create that distance. And the minute you start realizing that actually this doesn't define me in the way that it was in the past, that's when you let go of shame. That is so beautiful. And I'm so glad that we're able to have these conversations because honestly, this held me hostage for a long time. Just the regret of the things that I did when I was drunk or the decisions I made when I was drunk. But giving it away has just been the most amazing experience. I love what you said about conscious celibacy as well. It's something that we spoke about in episode 59 with my friend Jordan. I took a very long period of time, maybe two years between my ex-boyfriend and my current boyfriend, where I just didn't sleep with anyone. But that space just gave me so much healing time, so much time to be compassionate to myself and to work out what's going on here. Like, what's fucked you up, babe? You know, because some, something's fucked you up because we're all fucked up by a lot of things, but we just don't stop in today's life to ever look inwards. And I do think that if you are continuing in this cycle of casual sex, casual relationships, relationship jumping, sometimes you never slow down and give yourself the space to be like, yo, like what is actually going on under the surface? What I see today is we give our bodies when really we want to give our hearts. And I feel like we're born in a society today where sometimes we just want to cuddle we just want a cuddle with the opposite sex, the same sex, you know, whatever it is for you. Sometimes we just want that intimacy, that closeness, that connection. And for me, I often found like, I kind of sometimes didn't even want to have sex with them. I would just sort of get swept up in this cycle where you're talking or you're on a date or you're out and you're drunk. And again, I know substances is a big part of this, but yeah, I, I just think that that also is interesting, the concept that it is a mini trauma every time this happens and that there is this hope that is almost driving these interactions. So I guess this is the perfect time to talk about why people are having sex when actually they want something more and why they're setting themselves up for a hope that inevitably is just going to get crushed every time they go through this cycle. I think it's an amazing question. I think at the base of that is that we're never taught how to navigate, to build, explore, express our needs, our wants, our desires for closeness, connection, intimacy. We've never learned how to set appropriate boundaries and desires. We don't know how to navigate that space. And for this, we need to be having a conversation that covers, this is the baseline, 
relationship status, desires, boundaries, sexual status, and the meaning that you're attaching to these things to fully understand where we're locating ourselves so that we can harmonize with what the other person is desiring. At the core of this, we all have a deep desire for connection. And this is something that I would probably describe as more primal. It's almost like a primal urge to procreate, build a home, uh, build a family. But then we have a problem where our brain tells us something differently. So subconsciously, we strive towards safety in the hope that the person we choose will provide this for us. But the problem is, is that in the dating world, the fierce competition would be even more limited if suddenly we present this idea of going, this is what I'm wanting. I just want to have a happy home and a husband or a wife, and that's it. Most people are going to try and run away from something like that because it's, it's too frank, it's too settled. But if we actually took the time to be having a conversation that covers relationship status, desires, boundaries, sexual status, and the meaning, we wouldn't be afraid of anything within a relationship. We'd be able to step fully into that presently and know at the core of it that everything has a beginning, a beginning, a middle, and an end, but we'd be in flow. We'd, we'd understand that that's a process and we'd allow it to happen rather than fighting that. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but what I'm taking from this part of the discussion is that casual sex and safe sex encounters can serve you if you understand and accept them for what they are, which is something that just has a beginning, a middle and an end, albeit over a cycle of one hour, four hours, 12 hours, however long the experience lasts. But what you're saying is that in today's society, we attach this hope to the, it being something so much more than just that experience. And that's why it's so painful. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And this is where I think we need to be very clear with our desires and our boundaries, first and foremost, because once you have clarity in that space, you can then put that across to the person that you're engaging with, see what their desires and boundaries are, and you can equilibrate in that space. Because if the other person's boundaries and desires are way off kilter in comparison to yours, then you can really renegotiate that. You can go, well, actually, what I'm really wanting here is cuddles, but you're wanting something more that's as much as I can give. Mm, yeah, that is so interesting because we're just not taught to have those discussions. I, I talk about this experience quite a lot because it was definitely one of the more traumatizing experiences of my life, which was that after I cheated on my first ever very long-term partner when I had just started university, um, deeply traumatic, you know, really deeply hurt him, also really deeply hurt myself in the process. But I didn't know how to navigate that in that space. Like I didn't have the ability to communicate and say to the people around me, this has happened, this is what I'm going through, and this is what I need. So without having the ability to have those conversations, what did I do? I jumped into the party scene. That meant I was drunk the whole time. What does that mean? Of course, when we are inebriated, we make different decisions that we would do sober. And often what that meant for me is that I would end up in sexual encounters that honestly I would not have been in if I was sober. And that feeling the next day, you know, it's that feeling like, yes, you might have even enjoyed it in the moment when you were with them and it might have been exciting and it might have been passionate. But for me, there's like a dread when they leave the next day 
they leave, it's silent. I just feel like, oh my God, you know, should I have done that? Did I enjoy that? Did I want to do that? Are they ever going to message me again? That's definitely very heavy the next day. And I think that that ties into the concept of the mini trauma, which is the hope, you know, the hope that this could be something more, but the feeling like I've just given you so much of myself and you've now left. And I think that also ties in for people that have this anxious attachment style and any kind of sensitivity to abandonment or rejection. Those are the things that I feel that are most painful for me. I definitely think since being sober, everything has got so much easier. I honestly, I have not found myself in sexual situations that I haven't wanted to be in. I've never done things that I don't want to do. I just feel so much safer in myself and safer with others, knowing that at all times I am fully in control and I more often than not will never do anything that I don't want to do. And I'd love it if you could just tell us a little bit more about What's actually going on there in our body and what can we learn about that so we can sort of, it can be more formative for future sexual encounters? One of the concepts that I quite like talking about is the idea of getting love drunk. And this is what usually happens from casual sex. And if you're taking the basic chemical that's released when we make love to someone, it's oxytocin. It's primarily the hormone used to facilitate childbirth, but it's also produced when we're excited sexually, when we fall in love, learning how to bond with other people. It's just an amazing hormone. It equally stimulates the uterus to contract. So if you're having these many contractions in your uterus going on and you're not pregnant, your body's communicating that it wants to bond. So there was an interesting study done in Harvard where they took people with depression and postpartum depression as well. And they found that there was a direct link to low oxytocin production. And the studies that they're doing now is also wanting to create a nasal spray that can be used for anxiety and depression. But if you're thinking about where casual sex falls into this, it's far easier to step into the casual sex space and have these oxytocin and dopamine hits. And it's literally at a swipe of a finger. So the problem with something like this is that it's not a long-term fix. The half-life of oxytocin is only three minutes. So that, that hit of oxytocin that you're experiencing and wanting to bond with that person is literally only three minutes. So the question that I have is, is that what is in us that is prolonging that? And the conclusion that I've come to is, is that it's our mind and the fantasy that we have with this person or we're projecting onto this person, trying to connect further and want something to be a lot more than what we're experiencing. And that's just the casual sex. That's so interesting. I never knew the half-life of oxytocin. It's really important to understand these chemicals because for what I feel like is you get that hit during the experience and then the next day it's like you've drained that hit and you can feel so anxious and so depressed. And I guess that's the concept of love drunk that you're talking about is like you're love drunk and then you kind of have the hangover the next day, which is tying into the more the imbalanced neurotransmitters and really just those deep feelings of anxiety and regret and shame and things like that. So I do think it's important to understand that this is going to impact us at a chemical level. And I think it goes without saying that, you know, anyone listening to this podcast, we are both incredibly sex positive. We are all for incredible sexual experiences, sexual encounters, whether that's for a night, a week, a month, or for a lifetime. But what we are very, very pro on this podcast is very safe, healthy, 
interactions. And I think what we're talking about today is the more toxic interactions when we leave and we don't feel good. Because yes, there are some people out there that can have casual sex and they don't really feel as affected by maybe the people that are listening to this podcast. And I, for one, have often just thought like, oh, why am I so weird? Like, why can't I just go out and just like fuck like everyone else can? Like, honestly, now I'm at a point in my life because I feel like I've been so traumatized by casual sex that I have gone fully the other way, which is like, I just will not be intimate with people until I get to know them, till I feel safe with them. Now, I think that's a really important part of who I am. And I'm really grateful that I'm that way. But I also know that that can be the other extreme, you know, on the other end. So it's about finding a balance in the middle where you can have a sexual encounter in line with this RBDSM conversation that we're going to talk about later, where you go into it, you know what it is, you understand the cycle that's going to happen, and you can just like be in it for what it is. I'm not saying that every casual sex encounter that I've ever had has been horrendously traumatic. Don't get me wrong, a lot of them have been, but it's actually more that the trauma comes from the next day, which is when you wake up, the story has been dismantled. You've woken up to the sobering reality that you're fucking hungover. You probably did some shit that you didn't want to do. You're naked in bed with someone that you don't really know. You don't feel good. You feel shameful. You feel regretful. And then like you've said, you have these short half-lives of the hormones and then you also get that love drunk hangover. So it's kind of like you go into it with a vision and an idea and an excitement. And then the next day, it's like you said, that cycle is done. And then it's the sobering reality of, wow, this is where I'm at now. So it kind of feels like the first part is the story. The second part is the sobering reality the next day. And then the third part is the repercussions from that. So I'd love to just go into the repercussions because I love the way that kind of you've broken that down and then I pulled it together there in a way that I think is really easy for people to understand. I'd love to talk about that stage three, you know, the next day, taking out of it the fact that you may be horrendously hungover, which makes you horrendously emotional, which makes you hypersensitive to everything and you have anxiety anyway, and you're already deeply regretful about other things that might have happened that evening, even in the club, in the pub, you know, just being stupid when you're drunk. But I want to talk more about the concepts of either triggering your attachment wounds, particularly the anxious attachment, although also relevant for the avoidant who probably feels like, okay, fuck, now I need to push away because I've just got close to someone. But I think most people listening to this podcast will relate more to the anxious attachment. So I'd love to talk about how this casual sex experience can be really damaging for someone with an anxious attachment style. But I'd also love to talk about the concept of abandonment because I feel like someone can leave the next day and it doesn't matter what they did before they left, how they treated you during the night, during the day, how they treated you the next morning, whether they cuddled you, whether you showered together, whether they said they want to see you again. There is something about when they leave and that silence is just on you that for someone with an abandonment wound, it just feels so heavy. So I think this is going to be such an important part of the episode. And I'd love you to basically pick which one you want to go into first. So when we have an anxious attachment style, we engage in sex to satisfy our needs for security and love. The anxious component is always testing the attentiveness of our partner or the person that we're engaging with at that particular point, And that's to fulfill our needs. So you use sex to seek proximity, reassurance, approval, 
And you might get that in the initial encounter that evening. But the problem is there's usually the hope of if I give myself on a sexual level, this person will want to create relationship with me later or after the experience. Whereas if we're looking at more of a secure attached style, you start relationship first, usually, and then you go into the sexual experience. And what people usually experience being in that anxious attachment space is that you're more likely to be triggered in comparison to a lot of other people. You're sensitive to the slightest forms of rejection. You're, like you were saying, Louise, you're more likely to be impacted the next day. That's when we have the feelings of abandonment. We then look for the other to give us this constant sense of validation. And when we're not getting it, you're so desperate to get this, this sustenance from this person that you were hoping because you completely opened yourself up to them. You've allowed them into your sacred space. Whereas now they're not giving you that sustenance. And from this, it's mostly leaving a person feeling like they've been used. And the minute we tap into this ideology of, hey, I feel quite used right now, we attach that to trauma, we attach that to a violence towards ourselves. And this is where it's very, very aligned with self-abuse. One of the things that you said there that really resonated with me is that if you have an anxious attachment style or you are a highly sensitive person, you are looking for that consistency, the stability and the security. And I think what's so interesting is that we're sensitive to the slightest forms of rejection and we need constant security, but we're expecting it from someone that we've just met. And this is one of the things that I think is so weird about today's society is that of course that's going to hurt you. You can't expect someone that doesn't know you or that doesn't really care about you emotionally or really is just engaging in this for a sexual encounter to be sensitive to how you feel. Taking it one step further, you can't expect them to be holding space to have an emotional conversation about your emotional makeup, your attachment style. And then on top of that, how can you expect security and stability from someone that actually is actually not obligated to give you security and consistency? And I think that this ties back to the point where you're right, people that are anxiously attached or people that don't want to be abandoned, we do often give our body when really we just want sort of love and affection. And I think this comes back to the point of communication, like you said, which is that we are not taught to have these conversations around, this is how casual sex makes me feel, but I'm really into you and I would really love to share this experience with you tonight, but I might feel horrible tomorrow. You know, what are your intentions after this? Is this just a one night thing for you? Because honestly, if I had had those conversations before having sex, I think I would have avoided so many deeply traumatic experiences that honestly were just caused by A, silence, and B, substances, which kind of blur everything. I think it's so interesting to understand that this is a more traumatizing experience for someone who has an abandonment wound or abandonment expectations or issues and an anxious attachment wound. But I think something that even if we don't identify as having those things, I think one thing that we can identify with is the just feeling a bit empty and gross and sad the next day. But I'd love to just end the episode with, I guess, advice for healing, advice for starting to rewrite this sex story, advice for starting to accept the past and how to move forward with grace and compassion rather than deep shame, regret, and guilt. 
The beauty for me is, is that we live in a day and age that there is so much information available out there, exactly like this podcast. And I think what you've done on Open House has given access to people, ideas, ideologies, belief systems, different ways of dealing with problems that they're experiencing in real life that is too beautiful for words. And if you don't have the resources to find a therapist, find a sexologist, start using the resources that are available to you. And that in itself creates a little bit of distance from the story that you're telling yourself. Because if you're thinking about the story that you're constantly compounding and revisiting over and over and over, we start looking for experiences to reinforce that belief system. Whereas if you're starting to introduce different ideas, different theories, different ways of looking at things, it also places you in a position to start questioning these things and realizing that that truth doesn't have to be your truth any longer. And one of the concepts that I, I've come up for my book is this idea of experiential deletion. And what this means is that when you've experienced something very traumatic or painful, let's say falling in love as an example, you know, you've fallen in love with this person, you've had an experience with them, it comes to an ending. And what's the usual statement that most people say when they fall out of love or they've been hurt? I never want to fall in love ever again. So we hold on to this, I hate men, I hate women, I hate all these different things, and we reinforce that narrative until the universe decides and says, actually, you're ready to fall in love again. And what happens when we fall in love again? Usually the magnitude of that loving experience is far greater than the previous one. And if we experience a love that is greater than the previous, it's almost like we have this ability of placing it to the side, and this is where it's experiential deletion. So it's looking at experiences that are higher in emotional magnitude, and that helps us erase whatever we've come from that has been traumatic. I love that concept of experiential deletion, and what I'm taking from that as well is that sometimes you have to change your partner choice to change the outcome. That's really beautiful. And I guess my final point is the things that happened in the past have happened. They can't be changed. And no matter how much you punish yourself, label yourself, agonize over decisions you've made, what it means, the story that society puts to that, it doesn't matter anymore. It has happened and you are going to be living in hell for the rest of your life if you cannot come to terms with the fact that, yeah, you slept with some people that didn't really deserve to sleep with you. Yeah, sometimes you were drunk and you did things you didn't want to do. Yeah, sometimes you didn't use a condom because you were drunk or you were stupid or you got lost in the moment. These things happen. They are all part of us, the development of the rich pageant of life that teach us sometimes through pain, sometimes through pleasure. They teach us lessons. It's just being gentle to the past and, uh, yeah, finally, I think it's communicating. For me, such a huge part of my journey is why. Why couldn't I communicate? Why couldn't I share my truth in those moments? How many times I've been in situations where I actually don't want to be here. Like I was having so much fun with you in the club and it was so fun making out with you. And like now I'm here, like in your grotty apartment and it's 5 a.m. and I've taken drugs and I just really just want to like go home. Why am I not saying that? Why do I feel like I'm here now? So I have to do this. You know, where does that like absolute, just no foundational level of the basics of communication come from? Thank you from the bottom of my heart for holding space for me, but also just for being you and sharing your work with the world because it is so needed. So thank you very much. Thank you, Louise. And 
thank you for always being so brave and being able to be so raw with what you share with the world. Yeah, it's scary. Like all I know is that I need other people to know that you are not alone. I spent so many years feeling alone because I didn't talk about what I went through, whether that was casual sex, whether that was abandonment, wounds, attachment style, or whether it was sexual assault. So I'm just hoping that whoever is listening, if even some part of this resonated with you, I hope you know that you are not alone. Lots of love. (laughs) 